0: Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in your name in this country where we are free to worship you. And we pray right now that you would be speaking to each one of us about who you are and what you've done in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we have been asking this question in this uh, series that we've been looking at, why do we do what we do in church? And I've been really enjoying this series. In the the first week, uh, I spoke on why we even gather in the first place. Uh, In the second week, Rory spoke about worship. Uh, On the third week, I spoke about preaching. Then last week, uh, Jago spoke on prayer. And and this week, I'm going to be looking at communion, which is why we've uh, changed the order of the service a little bit today. And maybe you're here for the first time, you might, might be new and wondering, sort of, what on earth are they all doing with this uh, communion? Um, but stay with me. I, I think for most of us, though, uh, we're all agreed that communion is a really important. Uh, but we do the same thing in church over and over again, and the danger is that we sort of end up on autopilot. Uh, on Monday I was on an aeroplane and uh, I was uh, invited up to the cockpit or to the flight deck, as it's now called. I know that I have a young face. Uh, at least that's what I'm telling myself. Um, but as I went up to the cockpit, I, I asked the, the pilot, uh, uh, is, is autopilot actually a thing? Because I was just sort of intrigued to, to know. And he said, yes, it is. Actually, what they do is they, they get the aeroplane up to 1,000 feet and then they put it on autopilot at that point. And I had no idea that they put autopilot on at such an early stage in the flight. I mean, they sort of told the computer what to do. uh, But they put it in autopilot very, very early. And I think there's a danger for us as Christians that we can sort of get ourselves up to a thousand feet and then sort of put our feet up. But I, I, I think actually communion has the possibility. It has the chance of doing the very opposite of autopilot for us is receiving communion can be sort of a bit like having a, a spiritual workout. It's, it's actually far more useful than if we were, say, uh, doing uh, the, the park run on Clapham Common or if we're doing a, a big Sunday morning cycle. We achieve much, much more. We're not, we're not working our arms, we're not working our legs, we're not doing cardio. But what we're exercising when we do communion is, is exercising our eyes. It's what we see at communion, how we look. Uh, Last Sunday, I was at a church in Los Angeles, and they did things really differently there. They had different liturgy, they had different songs, and for me, I had to sort of really pay attention a lot during the service, and and during the whole service, I was wondering, oh, that's interesting, I wonder why they do that, I wonder why they do what they do, and that was the question that I kept asking myself, why are they doing what they do? I was looking at at church with, with fresh eyes. And today, what I want us to do is to look at church with, with fresh eyes, and to be asking the same question that we've been asking the whole way through this series, is why do we do what we do? You know, if it was uh, physically possible, I would have placed the communion table right in the center of this building this morning, and I would have got us to all gather around it and to sit around it, so that we might look at communion with fresh eyes in a, in a new way. And when you think about it, communion is it's quite weird. I mean when the early church gathered people were sort of listening in people eavesdropping on the early church they thought these these christians these christians they thought i think they're they're cannibals because they heard about uh, eating flesh and drinking blood and so it's confronting and and communion should be confronting how might we all approach communion with fresh eyes today how do we ensure that our practice of communion is not wafer thin Thank you for that laugh. Communion actually uh, engages all of our senses, but I want us to look at how we look at communion. The first way that we look is, is that we look up. We look up. We look up at Jesus, who is the host of the meal. And you'll have noticed that I'm, I'm not wearing robes today. Because we, we know that, that Jesus, he didn't wear very modern robes that were designed in the 1970s. He didn't wear a dog collar. Come to think of it, he didn't wear a blazer and chinos. Jesus didn't wear his Sunday best. And, um, and people sort of get obsessed with what clergy wear, which I find really odd. And because at, at some services, uh, clergy wear robes, and at some services, they don't. They don't. And, and that's not what matters here. That's not what is important. The important thing is to, to not look at me. The attention is, is not on me. The attention is, is actually not on you either. The attention is on Jesus Christ. I am not the host of this meal. In the liturgy, in the words that I'm about to say in a few moments' time, I'm, there's words where I'm addressing you and there's words where I'm addressing God. The focus is on Jesus. Jesus is the host of the meal, which shows us that the communion is not just an act of, of mental recollection because Jesus is inviting us to eat and to drink with him. We we look up at Jesus and we discover that in Holy Communion, Jesus Christ, he wants our company. It's a foretaste of the heavenly banquet to which all are welcome. Paul writes in verse 23 that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. It's on this weekend when we celebrate the Apollo 11 mission, 50 years since uh, man landed on the moon. And when astronauts actually celebrated communion on the moon. I'm praying that, that you and I would be even more captivated than man on the moon, that we'd be more captivated by God on the ground. That actually the far greater journey is of God coming to planet Earth so that he might eat and drink with each one of us. So we look up. We look up at Jesus, who is really the host of the meal. And next we, we look forward. Have a look at verse Verse 26. Paul writes, for, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we look up, at the same time, we are looking forward to that great heavenly banquet to which we're all invited, that we know that everyone is invited to this table, that everyone, regardless of who you are or where you come from, that the, the love of God is available to all people in all times and all circumstances and all places without exception, Unconditionally, full stop. The reason we do Alpha, the reason we do Clapham Sunday, the reason we care so much about people coming to faith is we want people to experience eternity in sharing a meal with Jesus. We want to extend the invitation to people who who think that if God does exist, that at best he's distant. But we want to extend that invitation so people might know that that, Jesus, that God in Jesus has drawn near to us so that we might be able to draw near to him in faith. The celebration of communion is all about the proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection until he comes again. So we, we look up, we look forward. And the next way that we look is we look in. We look in. Have a, have a look at verse 27. Paul writes, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So it's, it's clear here that we're not playing games, that the danger is, is that we are drinking judgment upon ourselves. And so we have the confession early on in the service, and it's it's. Part of the reasons why it's so important that we're here for the start of the service is that we want to be preparing ourselves for receiving communion. We want the opportunity to to confess our sins. But I want to be encouraging each one of us to be preparing ourselves before we even come here on a Sunday, to be uh, confessing our sins, to be examining ourselves for communion even before we come to church. The Apostle John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is amazing news, isn't it? In preparing ourselves for coming to communion, we can know with certainty that our sins are forgiven. So we ask the the Lamb of God to have mercy on us and that he might grant us peace with him. Jesus, his nature is merciful, and he has won that peace with us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. And so we don't trust in our own righteousness, we don't trust in our own efforts, but in what Jesus has done. The cross, it will, the cross will save you from pride, but the cross will also save you from thinking too little of yourself as well. Because if you were the only person on this earth, then Jesus would have come and died for you in the way that he did. And that is what we remember at communion, that we are of infinite worth to the one who is of infinite worth. So, so examining ourselves it isn't just about doing away with sin, but it's also about honoring the one that we have received. And that's why looking in is far more important than the externals of what communion happens to look like. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus is interested in your heart. Jesus did not die for bread and wine. Jesus died for you. And Jesus cares about your heart. He wants to live in your heart. So we, we look up, we look forward, we look in, and we look around at the body of Christ. In verse 28, uh, Paul uh, writes about examining yourself before taking bread and wine. But then in, in verse 29, he talks about discerning the body of Christ. Note here that he doesn't actually mention the cup in this verse, where he did in the verse before. And he doesn't mention bread, but he mentions the body of Christ. Back in the, in the previous chapter, in, in verse 17, he's talking about the, the church community when he, he talks about the body of Christ. And so we, we make a personal confession, but, but the words that we say in the liturgy, the words that we say during the course of this service and during the communion part of the service, they're, they're plural. It's about we and us. In verse 33, Paul says, brothers and sisters. And we usually say here at Holy Trinity Clapham that, that communion is the family meal for the, the people of God. And so we, we look around and we examine the body of Christ. And one time I remember coming here on a Sunday. And on that particular Sunday, I I was aware on my way to church uh, that uh, there'd been someone who'd hurt me. And they hadn't just uh, hurt me in a small way, but that hurt me in a big way. And and I uh, I realized that I was harboring unforgiveness towards that person, that I hadn't really forgiven that person in my heart. And I, I realized in that moment that I couldn't come along to church and receive communion, let alone preside at communion, if I hadn't forgiven that person, if I, hadn't, if I hadn't forgiven them, if I hadn't got right in my heart. Have a look at earlier in the passage. Paul, Paul writes about disunity. It's such a scandal that the church of Christ today is disunited. Because Jesus, he doesn't just want to unite us to himself, but he wants to unite us to one another, that we might be united around him. And you you do not take communion on your own, but you take it when you gather with other believers. The, The clue is in the name, it's communion. This is something that we do together. We share one bread, we share one cup. Communion is not a private thing, and that is why we do it in church. And it is the peace of God that enables us to say peace be with you to one another around us. I love what Rowan Williams says about this. He says that, you know, that, that person that annoys you at church, that, that when you uh, come forward for, communi- for communion, uh, Jesus is saying that, that he wants your company, but he's also saying about that person that you don't like. He's, he's saying, I want that person's company too. That as we come forward for communion, there is no hierarchy here. That The priest is no more important than you are. The, the, the worst thing that we could do here is to treat communion as a, as a tokenistic thing. And it would also be if we were to treat the body of Christ tokenistically, the, the church tokenistically. Am I increasingly being someone who is wanting to live a life that knows that I am made for more and is calling the body of Christ, calling other believers, calling the church to live a life that is made for more, to live lives that are a setting That are set apart for Jesus Christ. And that by looking at all these different ways that I've been talking about this morning, that people might look at us differently, that we might live distinctive lives as followers of Jesus Christ, as the body of Christ. We all know that there's there's such power in stories, in gathering together and being reminded of where we've come from and where we're going. And, and Jesus, he, he, he takes the, the Passover meal, the meal that reminded God's people of how, of how God saved them from their, their firstborn being uh, killed, how he gave them, them freedom and made them into a people. He gave them a history. He gave them a narrative to shape their culture. The, this meal where they remember the, the Passover lamb. And here we see that Jesus is the lamb. That communion is, is actually, what we're doing here is not a sacrifice. That Jesus was the one perfect and sufficient sacrifice. That he was the lamb for the sins of all the world. It's remembering that for us, that God has laid upon the altar the, the dearest and the best. And that just as God took the Passover and the blood of the lambs to save the people from slavery, God takes the perfect lamb the blood of the perfect lamb, to create a new people that we call the church today that everyone is invited to become part of. So can I encourage us to not be casual about communion, but also not to be casual about the body of Christ, to not be casual about the church that Jesus bled and died for. So we look around, we, we, we look around at the body of Christ, this body of Christ, and finally, those of you who are eagle-eyed will have noticed that I skipped a verse as I've been uh, going through the passage. But this is the one that I really want you to remember. That if there's one thing I want you to remember, other than, than looking up, than looking forward, than looking in, looking around, the key thing that I want you to remember today is to remember to remember itself, is to, to look back. That just as God's people looked back to the exodus in the Passover meal, we today, we look back to the cross. Let's look back at uh, verse 24. Paul writes, When Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Christians are people that always look back. and Jesus could have done anything he wanted to, but, but Jesus, he exercises his freedom by committing himself to you. But this is what he did. This is how he reveals himself. That Jesus set his entire life looking forward to the cross. I wonder what have you set your life on? Have you set your life on looking back to the cross? Because we are justified by Christ and by Christ alone. The way that we access Christ is by faith, by believing that he himself is our gift. And as our culture becomes increasingly pharisaical and judgmental and self-righteous about what it means to be a good human being. We can look back and hear Jesus saying the words, It is finished. That communion is not about earning God's approval. I mean, what could you or I possibly add to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know that your sin is atoned for and that your guilt and that your shame can be gone? Do you simply receive the gift of Jesus' body and blood? Because Jesus chose that we might not know him through mystique. Not through our own good works. Not through piety. Not through pilgrimage. But through a bloodied and tortured Nazarene carpenter. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is the scandal of grace. And this is why people get so offended by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel doesn't say do X, Y, or Z. The gospel says that Jesus has done it all. It says, remember, remember this story of how Jesus, how he won your freedom and he won your life. No other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And don't you dare try to add anything to the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Because the minute that you try to, to add to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, you take away from the gospel. The gospel is nothing short of, of Jesus Christ giving himself completely to you, His tears, his sweat, his blood, his flesh, His Holy Spirit, His relationship with the Father. And Jesus holds nothing back. He gives himself completely to you. By taking the, the bread and the wine, as we will do in a moment, you are saying. That Jesus, your death is the most important thing about my life. That this love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that is why we celebrate communion in church. Amen.